0: I came to it later on and how it affected me was like, finally, this is the thing that my voice should sound like finally. But if you give that, To kids in high school and middle school, there is no like finally moment. It just becomes integrated in how you communicate. Yes, being this free and open with my thoughts and feelings and emotions is just inherent part of who I am. And like, that's such a great foundation to have moving forward. That's kind of, you know, I guess the crux of, of of Get Lit, showing kids that this Hey, maybe this is your voice, whether you go on to be a, a poet and like this, you just discovered your life thing, or if this is something that you did once and you had the experience of like really interrogating and crafting something, whatever, wherever you are, like you're better for that experience.
1: Welcome to the fourth installment of the chapters podcast series. I'm your host, John Ingalls. In our Chapters series, we focus on stories surrounding the exclusion, forced removal, and internment of Japanese Americans. But with all that is happening in our country right now, in this historic moment ripe with the potential for change and growth, we are expanding our scope and amplifying the voices of organizations and individuals who are trying to make a difference, who are standing at the convergence of art, education, and social justice. With this series, we honor those who have struggled and suffered in the past and question how are we still here? How have we not come any further than this? In this episode, we connect with Mason Granger, the deputy director at Get Lit. Mason shares how poetry has infected him and how his work with Get Lit helps young people use poetry to have a deeper relationship with themselves and the world. Tell us about the first time you remember being affected by poetry, not just hearing it or reading it but like whoa okay
0: oh uh, a hundred percent it's a very visceral like it's it's not one of those uh i don't know i always kind of just liked it it's like (laughs) no i went definitively from knowing zero about it to being like i want to do that and so it was um one of my classes at Rutgers University, where I went to school in New Jersey, um, it was the honors colloquium class, and which is basically like once a week, we go to one of just a various number of artistic events. One week, it may be, okay, everybody meet at the art museum and look at this gallery. Next week, oh, I got this speaker coming in to talk about this. One of the weeks, it was a trip to the New and Poets Cafe in New York. It's so like a long-standing uh, poetry venue in the city. My professor of the colloquium class was like longtime friends with uh, Miguel Algarin, who's the founder of the New Yorican. And those folks, so they set up a field trip. I did not, I was like not really interested uh, in it. I only went on that particular, we could pick and choose which ones we did. And so I only went on that one because the girl I had a crush on in the class was going. And so I was <laughs> like, okay, I guess I'll go see some poems. <laughs> um, so, you know, and this this was in 2001, which I think is uh, important to the story because it's before web video as we know it. There was no way to know about this. Like if you didn't know where it was happening, you've never seen it or heard of it. There okay, so there's no media of what spoken word poetry slash slam poetry is. So I go, imagining it's gonna be my preconceived notion of what spoken word poetry is, which is like old guys in like black, you know, black shirt, black pants, snapping their fingers, Mm -hmm. talking about whatever. So we go and it ends up being I remember the first person to get on the mic was this like squirrely looking dude about like, you know, late twenties, early thirties scrawny, but you could tell that he's the one dude in the room. You don't want to mess with. Uh, Cause he, he's seen some stuff. Uh, and so he gets up on the mic and is like, I don't know if you've ever been to New York and it's very stripped down. Like it, what the stage was in those days was just like brick background black wooden box stage one mic lights and like black curtains it 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 couldn't be more like
1: almost like a like a comedy venue yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
0: exactly like you're just performing in the in a back alley or something (laughs) so um so the dude gets up there and he's like all right uh just before i start i just want everyone to know i'm not i'm not really this angry and he like goes into the poem and it's like like uh he just turns incredible hulk style uh into this furious diatribe so as i'm like watching it i'm like oh clearly this man is capable of anger but listening to what he's saying he knows like this is all this is all written down and rehearsed and you know you can see the craft that went into the words that are coming out of his mouth and also laced within that are jokes and like a, a subtle craft to the words that he's saying. But how, how that came off to me is like, Oh, despite whatever it is that he's ranting about right now, he still is capable of like acknowledging the joy of being alive to have had this experience was that that's how i took it and and so just after seeing that and then you know that's the first person of of a procession of performers at night and just seeing people get up and like be what what i would say is the definition of uh keeping it real which was also a catchphrase uh circa 01 <laughs> <laughs> which which usually meant like keep it keep it real was synonymous with like kind of doing something outlandishly brash but like no no i keep it real you step on my toe i'm gonna knock you out it's like no that's kind of like excessive (laughs) but seeing this was like it was the most real thing which was like acknowledging all your sides at once as a human being and as an artist and as a like that that made the message come across like really extra authentic to me as you know, first time seeing that. And so, yeah, I was like, I want to do that.
1: So after, after that, then like, when do you start putting the pen to paper?
0: Like, like almost immediately. Right. So I, after that kind of serendipitously in the school newspaper, there was an article about um on campus poetry, open mic that was, that was happening. It was called verbal mayhem. And so I see that like within one or two weeks of that trip, I see it in the school paper and was like oh that thing that i just saw in new york is happening here weekly and it's free dope i'm gonna go so i went and it was in, put together by you know some some it was a student run thing i was in the living room of one of the off-campus houses and i went and you know sat in the, sat in the living room and just watched and i was like yeah this is this is that and it's right here and i I started being a regular there from,
1: from that day on. So you knew when you, when you started writing, you were writing for performance.
0: Yes. Yes. It was always, always writing with the intention of it being shared, aloud to, to that particular audience, to like the verbal mayhem audience, which I didn't, none of this crossed my mind at the time, but it's all people of my, general demographic at a public university in New Jersey. Most of the folks grew up in and around Jersey. You know, like the fact that you're going here of your own volition means you kind of just like this art stuff and are creatively inclined. And so it's just like this core group of people again, pre-social media, which I I think is is super important to point out of how like a scene develops with insulation. So it's like the same core group of 20 to 30 people, you know, people swap in and out, but like that core group all influencing each other, insulated from outside influences. So there's no idea of, oh, this isn't what you're supposed to do with poetry. We're kind of just... I don't know. I liked it. Gary liked it. We're doing it right. (laughs) We just kept doing it.
1: You know, you talk about your perception before going to the show is a lot of people with the black shirt and snapping and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, from, from that, that's beat poetry, right? Like that's where the, the beat poets came and it was connected to, to jazz music. And, you know, the scene of the day. And it really, I mean, I'm not a poet and I'm not involved in those circles, but in my mind, it didn't really change as far as performance until like this slam poetry, uh, kind of took hold. And now all, you know, it's, it's evolved and in, in taking different shapes and forms, but what role does, does, uh, hip hop and, in rap music play in, in kind of Opening the door for accessibility of poetry, mm-hmm. uh, but also that that performance aspect and and uh, that connective tissue between you know what what slam poetry became um, from you know that beat poetry snapping turtleneck beret wearing jazz yeah yeah like
0: I think that it definitely had a solid influence on the folks who I came up with and the scene at the time, it did rhyme a lot more and was kind of more inherently connected to a presentation that was like more like acapella hip hop, not to say that there were, that like, there weren't other things happening, but a lot more folks, uh, performed with meter and rhyme and and that. And there were a handful of hip hop artists at that time who like we gravitated towards, um, one being Aesop Rock, this guy, um, just like really esoteric rhymes and rhyme schemes and subjective songs that really stood apart from, the kind of like late nineties com- what was commercially rap in the late nineties of like Puff Daddy and Puff Daddy esque things. Um this was just like more like no word this is the most we're rhyming SAT words. That's what we do here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, I don't know, like like that's just what we what we what we gravitated towards. And I think that overall, like okay through the fast forwarding of time, like like any art form, what is the most popular isn't gonna be the most. Like obviously, artistic taste is different between people. You put it on a spectrum, but like the most, what I would say, advanced hip hop isn't really its its niche because I'm I'm niche. I like listening to something and I hear, it, I'm like, man, that dude wrote that for me, and like I don't care if it was only written for me and like a hundred other people like me like i love that and then you kind of like put that next to what is most commercially viable it was just crafted for a different purpose it was crafted to flick the switch that all of us have that one switch that all of us have instead of flicking the 12 switches that only like me and a couple dudes have so and there's always going to be that kind of hip-hop that's out there like today there is that hip hop that's like popular and then there's that hip hop that is going to appeal to like slam poetry kids Mm -hmm. and that's that's always going to be out there i don't know if that answered the question sure sure
1: absolutely connect yeah yeah and i mean i i would just think like like even as as an art form of young kids from from different backgrounds being able to sit and try to create rhymes because that's what's popular they I don't even know if they're connecting the fact that they're writing poetry in that moment, but they're following this art form that's popular, but they're also following this art form that's as old as literature by -hmm. creating poetry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and as time has gone on from when like my first forays into it in the early thousands to the kids who I'm, we're now mentoring, like at, at get lit they're poetry style has evolved differently than what ours was in the day. I right? said so like we we tended to adhere more towards more towards meter and it was more like an actual offshoot of of hip hop where now it's more I would say an, similar to like the moth mm a mm-hmm. condensed moth yeah like uh,
1: storytelling where, yeah it's and, yeah. like
0: it's it's less less metered i can definitely say right less, right less metered. for spoken word poetry yeah less metered um but but still like i'd say less metered and more willing to be maximum vulnerable mm. which i think is wonderful to see in like. High school kids like, yeah. yeah,
1: i mean because you're, you're talking about you're, you're in college when you first came to this i was in college when i first read a poem that like you know affected me and changed my a lot of the way that i i view the world um but this the work that you're doing with get lit is is introducing this at that younger age starting at that that 13 14 where where you're just starting to discover yourself. I'd love for you to talk about uh, Get Lit in general and, and how you came to, to start working with them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Even before, I don't want to lose this point that what you said reminded me of. of I came to it later on. And I was still like 19, so it was like college. And how it affected me was like finally, this is the thing that my voice should sound like. Mm-hmm finally but if you give that to kids in high school and middle school there is no like finally moment it just becomes integrated in how you communicate
1: and it's it, another way of communicating it's just like yeah yeah, it, yeah.
0: no yes being this free and open with my thoughts and feelings and emotions is just inherent part of who i am and like that's such a great foundation to to have moving forward. So yeah, that, that's kind of, you know, I guess the crux of Gov of, of Get Lit is like giving, not giving that voice, but just showing kids that this, hey, maybe this is your voice. And like, whether you go on to be a, a poet and like this, you just discovered your life thing, or this is something that you did once and you had the experience of like really interrogating and crafting something, whatever wherever you are like you're better for that experience like everyone is better for having had that experience how i personally went from uh Rutgers university to here at get lit after Rutgers, the two guys who founded verbal mayhem started a group called mayhem poets i then joined up with them and we were a touring group wrote a a show we did um theaters and middle schools high schools assemblies all that all over um, all over the country for a bunch of years we were called mayhem poets meanwhile get lit was founded in 2006 by diane luby lane as basically taking that but doing it here in la and so they developed a curriculum that uh, is approved by the state of california for english credits but it's all based around spoken word poetry and specifically classic and contemporary spoken word poetry always being connected so like okay we all know when we were in school how was poetry taught it was okay read this poem by someone you know many moons ago
1: right Yeah. And uh, here's an
0: elizabeth barrett browning poem and now we're gonna tell you yeah. why this is great and it's like <laughs> Okay, cool. Um so what get lit does is take okay, there is an anthology of classic poems. A lot of them are Elizabethan era and before and after, which is like kind of the important part of like all right, the the catchphrase is it's it's not a classic cuz it's old, it's a classic cuz it's great. And so there's those old-timey poems right next to Kendrick Lamar lyrics and like that's the classic go into the classroom, kids can select which whichever one of those classic poems like they gravitate towards for whatever reason in the moment. And then, you know, step by step through the curriculum, they write and memorize their own response poem to that poem. But then every time they share the poem, it is always back to back classic with the response showing like the, hey, this is like the the pinnacle of the art form up to here. And then you pass that through the the, the mind of a young person today and here's the future of that lineage and it's always like poetry isn't something that used to happen it's happening now all the time around us so simultaneously i'm doing that work as part of a touring group and get lit is doing that here i was living in new york at the time i started hosting an open mic at bowery poetry club a weekly thing and then moved up and was um, executive director at Bowery Poetry for a year in 2019, then moved to Los Angeles. And basically I had knew of Get Lit as a, you know, the analogous organization out here. So I just reached out and was like, Hey, I'm moving. Maybe is you got a job. And then they were like, Hey, one of our staff members is doing a study abroad in Africa for a year. So how about you sit at this desk? <laughs> so it kind of just like slid right in. That was January 2020. And then, um, you know, pandemic occurred. And i have just, you know, we've been, been here with GitLit since.
1: Now, how did the uh, pandemic affect the work that you do? What did, did everything just switch virtual?
0: Everything switched virtual? We happen to be super unique in a unique position because one of the guys on staff who's like the head of our media department also uh, has had a lot of video, went to film school, had a lot of video and live streaming experience, like as a video guy and the sound guy for a theater uh, in LA called Dynasty Typewriter. So he was their media tech dude i also had years of video and live streaming and av experience um with the national poetry slam poetry slam inc i was their videographer for three years traveling around and and covering all those events so i'm when everyone is immediately stuck home and all you, the only tools you have are whatever is within arm's reach that you know what to do with. We're sitting on like professional live streaming gear and and all this know-how and experience. So we were able to like quick pivot to do high quality stream stuff through Zoom and other platforms kind of quicker or like on the leading edge. Of, right. Right when everyone was kind of figuring out like
1: right how do we do this yeah yeah.
0: (laughs) we're like okay you gotta route that over to here we got the switcher (laughs) over here and and so um kind of timing wise so that was what march of 2020 april we have our annual classic slam that's usually at latc there's multiple theaters black box and other sizes all the kids come there it's like a thousand kids doing simultaneous things and then the finals is a big production at the theater at the ace hotel so then with kind of six weeks heads up we were able to pivot everyone to this online uh version of that classic slam that year and we had like a custom web portal built that had each one of the theaters was a zoom room that was streaming into a different button and you could click Uh, the button and tune in to the different channels and then had all this. It was, it was a, it was a big to do, but like, I mean, what else were we going to do? And like, it went off well. And so, yeah. Did
1: it open up new opportunities and kind of like expand the reach of get It really accelerated something that was in the back of,
0: of, of a few people's minds, um, which is like, spoken word poetry is yeah there's videos cool but like the work that get lit had been doing up to this point is kind of geographically limited to how far can our teaching artists go in a day to teach a residency and come back so you're kind of limited to there and even when i was on tour like it's where can i physically get to to do this thing Really, in order to to achieve this goal where like every young person would love to have firsthand opportunity to engage with spoken word poetry, how do we get to the kids in rural Missouri or wherever? And so I was like, man, a platform is going to be necessary for that. But okay, then COVID, it really accelerated, like put to the forefront in everyone's mind, funders included, the need Right here in front of your face, this is something that is necessary. And then also everyone on earth got a crash course in how to, to do this and how to create experiences as the, pers- as the producer that are engaging virtually and how as a consumer of virtual things, just how to relate to this.
1: And normalized it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Perfect word. Yep. yep. It normalized it. And so we now have a platform called Universe that's custom built web platform. That's essentially the virtual version of virtual classroom version of the GitLab curriculum. So right now we're recording this on today, three days prior to this very day that I am speaking to you. Uh, we were approved from LAUSD to be able to use Universe Classroom in the schools you know obviously like Dude, that's awesome with middle and high school kids yeah. in public education like there's a lot of security principles there's a lot like so many things that have to be that have to be signed and sealed uh and we you know had a dev team that that pulled it off and so uh we're really excited to going to start um with summer school this coming up and you know in the fall we'll be we'll be we'll start that spread through all of california and beyond
1: as a parent of uh, about to be high school student who's trying to find her own voice, I love that this exists and I love that it's it's here. And this leads me into my my next question or kind of like a uh, train of thought. Uh, I'm, I've am i been on this kick with a lot of these interviews um, and the work you do with Get Lit, it makes me think about the role that art plays in filling in the gaps where traditional education uh kind of miss or or skip and it's the human story it's that human experience that that you talked about earlier and whether it's visual art or music or poetry or cinema or literature we connect to uh what's being shared it's 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 not just facts and numbers it's not this many people died in this war in this year it's this is what war does to your soul This is the human experience with all of the emotion of of fear and loyalty, anger, love, hate, everything that, you know, that's it it personalizes it. And and it's, I think, necessary in education, especially for those young people.
0: Agreed, agreed. Uh, It it comes to a phrase like I've heard a few different times. I don't know who said it, probably some old Greek guy, but something along the lines of like, okay, yeah, there's there's a lot of one wonderment in terms of like how we're alive and studying that but then like why are you alive is kind of like up to you like what 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 gets what gets you going like okay we can there's the science of cells and this that and the other there's like the fact that you have to eat food and get water how do you do that up well in this current economic system you trade your work and your time and your skills that you've learned in order to then get what you need to survive. Okay. You are now surviving. What, what next we have, we have the brains that are capable of more than just taking care of our survival, which comes first. But once you have that, like, all right, what do you, what's cool for you now that you are existing? The exploration of that is kind of like what, life is about
1: yeah Uh, but you know and also just like the human experience throughout history that like you know these people that you're reading these you know these people that you're you're studying about this historical moment that happened you know a 100 years ago like art gives you that that lived human experience of that
0: that's super true yeah yeah and seeing how much of that translates how much you really do have in common with the thoughts and hopes and feelings of people who lived in the year 600 how else are you gonna know if you don't engage in what they produced at the time which is they wrote stuff down Mm -hmm. and read those things there was music produced listen to those things like that it's actually like one form of time travel I would I would say you can like actually like a peer into their thoughts. And then with that, I think it, it helps you better contextualize yourself and where you stand in the current world around us. Like, I remember how much of what I consider to be me is just a product of the times that we live in, or is it something that's just a human condition? You don't know until you engage with and speak to and listen to a wide variety of different humans across a wide variety of time periods. Mm. And you'd be like, oh, like, man, this like really subtle feeling of how I felt when my eighth grade classmates did and said this, but I didn't say anything because I don't see anybody else acknowledging that feeling. And then you open up some shakespeare play and it's like oh he said it that's (laughs) how it felt like yeah that that connection is so dope
1: and i think it also connects to uh your ethnic studies curriculum that that get lit has started um you know in california we've got uh it's going to be a requirement in two years right for for graduating seniors to take a semester in ethnic studies and so having your curriculum available really kind of opens the door to representation, uh, but also empathy and and self-identity as well.
0: Absolutely. I can speak from personal experience, so much of what I know about what it is to live as someone who is not me, I know from having attended poetry events and just hearing the words, Coming literally from the mouths of other people, I'm a you know you could you could check check off all the things of me. I'm a six foot tall, native English speaking black man from the northeast in this time period. Da 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 da. So my exp- my lived experience has been a certain sort of way. I don't know what it is like having grown up, uh, you know, a small town in Montana you know, raised strict Catholic, and then you are now trans and having to navigate that. How I can sit here and imagine, but then at poetry events, I'm like, oh, I'm literally listening to this human being tell me what it's like. And like when you're around the, the, you're both attuned to the craft of poetry that like they're able to compress so much into a short poem so much authenticity of like an actual lived life into a short poem and share that and then i can like tap into that and then it's like like a zip file that mm-hmm. like that one poem comes into me and then expands into like you know a whole a whole being and i'm like oh and just like you said that's that's where em- empathy comes into play and like growing this the a capacity for empathy comes into play so that like that's my one person literal lived experience someone like to translate that to to an ethnic studies curriculum I mean the same point stands like if you were not raised a black man in this time period in this locale you can hear straight connect straight from that person and like they will tell you what that lived experience is like like that's the so such the distilled foundation of what learning is it's hard for me to even like sure. <laughs> how, can I, how can i even like create an argument rationalizing this thing that is so fundamental to learning about the world around you it's made of a bunch of people who are not you mm-hmm. so how to learn about them is to listen to them tell you about themselves like it's so fundamental <laughs>
1: We want to thank Mason Granger and everyone at Get Lit. For more information, visit getlit.org. Chapters podcast was produced by Past Forward and made possible with support from Chapman University and California Civil Liberties Public Education Program, a state-funded grant project of the California State Library. For more information, visit pastforward.org, chapman.edu, and library.ca.gov.